0: Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. Hi, I'm Dr. Megan Samaraki. Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast. Today's episode is an interview that I conducted with Maxim Vickery and Adam Smith from EF Plus Math, which is a program supported by the nonprofit Airdiff. I recently learned about a report that came out of this group called Strengthening Executive Function Skills to Improve Mathematics Learning, Evidence of Promise from EF Plus Math's Inclusive R&D Approach. I then learned that EF Plus Math aims to double the number of Black and Latinx students and students experiencing poverty in grades 3 through 8 who are proficient in math by building innovative math learning systems that strengthen executive functioning skills. I was really excited to learn about what they were doing, especially once I discovered that EF Plus Math funds and supports teams of educators, researchers, and product developers to co-create math learning approaches. And again, they're specifically focused on improving learning outcomes for Black and Latinx students and students experiencing poverty. So without further ado, here's the interview. I am going to start by having the two of you introduce yourselves. Maxim, if you want to go first.
1: Sure, no problem. Uh, Maxim Vickery. I uh, currently work for District of Columbia Public Schools. I am the high impact tutoring manager for my school. The background on what that entails, I get the lovely task of uh, creating a tutoring program that uh, that uh, we focus on alternative students. So individuals 9 through 12th grade, 16 to 24, and give them know that they intensified tutoring to support their academic needs to go ahead and get them to graduate with the diploma in hand. In terms of uh, EF+, Plus, I've sat on the council as one of the original council members where I got to look at a variety of different grants and proposals to see exactly which one would best serve the needs of our our Black and Brown students and, and give them the the education, curriculum, content, resources, interventions, and tools to bridge that gap.
2: Yeah. Um, Yes, my name is Adam Smith. I am currently Mm -hmm. employed as the um, Associate Director of Inclusive R&D Partnerships um, for EO Plus Math. And we'll talk about what inclusive R&D means in just a moment. But I, previously to this role, I served as a high school teacher, um, a curriculum director for high school math, or for for elementary math, and also as a college professor. So I come into this work with a lot of knowledge and experience around math learning and and math teaching. And I'm just excited to be in this conversation today.
0: Awesome. So Adam, if you could just share briefly sort of what what are these programs that we're talking about? What is EF Plus Math and AirDiff?
2: EF Plus Math is one of three programs in the AirDiff umbrella. And what AirDiff is, is a E R D F. We just say AERDF for ease, but it stands for Advanced Education Research and Development Fund. And what AERDF does is it supports educators, researchers, developers, students, and caregivers coming together to co-create and realize solutions to persistent and intractable teaching and learning challenges. And as I mentioned earlier, AERDF supports three programs. EF Plus Math is the first program um, of the three often called the Demonstration Program. The other two programs are called Re- Reading, Reimagined, and Assessment for Good. So EF Plus Math is a program um, where we serve communities, we serve students, and we prioritize service to stu- um, Black students, Latinx students, and all students experiencing poverty. And our approach to that is by examining how EF, which means executive function, examining how executive functions can be, develop alongside deep deep math learning approaches. And our hypothesis is that if we are able to develop deep math understanding, rigorous approaches to mathematics in tandem with the development of executive function skills, we are are going to close that opportunity gap for students who have been historically marginalized and excluded so that they are able to realize their fullest potential and to see their full brilliance as math learners and doers.
0: That sounds really great. So I, I, would you mind maybe giving us just a couple examples? So what what problems in math education are the programs trying to solve?
2: Yeah. So, um, and just to cl- kind of give some more context of what Max talked about proposals. So, yes, we we support multiple teams of researchers and developers who are building new math learning approaches for um, for our priority students. And so Maxim was um, here from the very beginning and looking at those RFPs or those proposals to see which approaches had the best potential. Um, so, and that was back in 2019. So that, this, this has been a long time coming. So, um, so what, these, what these approaches are, um, are endeavoring to do is that we are trying to solve problems around a lot of things, one of which is, of course, representation. So it's, can students see themselves in the math learning in the problem sets, in the concepts, in the in the curriculum, et cetera, can they see themselves, and can they see themselves as mathematicians? Do they feel like they belong in the mathematics classroom? Because of course, um, our priority students have been ex- historically excluded from you know white dominant culture, um, which is. Primarily, what what public education serves or whom they serve, so we're really trying to disrupt those norms, to disrupt those um, that status quo, to ensure that our students are centered in that and that those math learning experiences. So our products are building um, supports and building features, building components that help to center students in this math learning. And not only are they doing that, but they're also, as I mentioned earlier, trying to really embed executive function. Skills and development alongside the math learning, so really seeing how those two things interact together. Um, another thing the products are doing is what we call inclusive R and which is you know disrupting the status quo that you know people in the ivory tower, you know they, they're the ones who develop the products, they develop the approaches, they develop the curriculum for students and teachers to use on the back end. The you know the status quo is that you know the end users or the students and teachers, those whom we claim to serve do not often sit at the designer's table right? to develop these products from the ground up. So that's another huge tenant of our approach, is that in addition to building these products um, to center students, we're also, in the very design of these products, is disrupting the power dynamics between researchers and developers and and, um, students and teachers, et cetera. So what inclusive R&D is, is it's not just research, um, it's not just product development, but it's a dedicated focus. On the combined power of advanced research and development in partnership with educators and students.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like in this part of this partnership is is working really closely with the teachers. And Maxim, you have experience in that area. Um, so can you can you speak to your experience and, and your expertise as a teacher and a leader and how this is this experience is really crucial to the process.
1: So one thing that I've I've realized in, in my classroom instructional time, I was always given a content. Here you go. It's the beginning of the school year. We're doing this. That's it. And it's like, all right, let's go through. Let's sift through. Let's see what we have to pull from and where we might have to fill in the gaps. And it comes to a point where you're like, hey, I think we got a lot of things that don't quite fit what we really want to do. And when I look at what EF Plus was, you know, presented, it was a chance to be, to actually come to the table, not just with only my the, the boots on the ground, this is what we know works in the classroom, what doesn't work, what our students need to see in order to feel connected. Because the, the one biggest thing that I, I found when I, whenever I taught was that when you looked at the problems given, every student responded with, it doesn't work in my house. It's not going to work in my neighborhood. Like, none of this matters. Like, who is this person? And the battle, excuse me, it's not to say it was really it was a battle, it was more like, listen, doesn't matter if the Susan, if the person's named Susan, John, or Jane, it doesn't matter. Use your name, put your name in there, make it more personable. Or doesn't matter if they're using this. Why don't you use something that makes that makes sense to you? The math is the math, and I want you to get to the content and spend less time on the verbiage. But from a, from a student standpoint, hearing me say it, it sounds better because you know what, you're my teacher. But as a teacher, like man, like I gotta get this student to buy in without me having to give the buy-in. So now when we here comes, you know, EF, the E L C the uh, Education Leadership Council, through EF Plus and it's like, so you're telling me the goal is to create a curriculum specifically for our Black and Brown, Latinx students, that are those who are marginalized, and to bridge the gap, which has always been an ongoing battle. Like how much like how far is this gap really? And, and how's it like we haven't made any progress, but your focus is strictly on this. It's not, it's not a, a cookie cutter plan that's from some other company and it's tailored to fit this. is like, no, 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 no. This is strictly to fit us, to make it inclusive. Well, let's get to the table and talk to the people who are doing the researches, who are doing the, the programming, who are doing the developing, because you really can't make a decision and say what works for all if everyone isn't there, the the moment you leave out one, and and, and I I'm, I'm a math person, This so you know, I'm a mathematician by trade. I went to school, I got a bachelor's in mathematics. I went for more abuse and got a master's in statistics. I know my numbers backwards and forwards. But you can't tell me that you can have anything work if you don't have three parts to it. Hence why you have a tripod. Well, you need to have three people involved to make something stand. Make sure it can stand properly. Let's go ahead and bring the actual researcher because again you do your research I'm not saying your research is falling short but just make sure that your research is including everyone. From that research you have a developer. You have to create the idea. Great. So you got two people one did research one to creates it. Now you need to bring a person that's actually going to be able to deliver the content because that's where you truly get your success. Who's going to deliver it? Bring the teacher in. So sitting at the table where now my voice is equal. I'm not the t- the angry teacher that says you know this is going to stop, not going to work. And it's going to be done before it's you no know, six weeks into the school year. No, no, no. I'm I'm there from the beginning. So if I'm, I'm there from the beginning, you're going to have to hear what I have to say, and then we're also we're going to have to work in tandem and 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 in together to get a product that makes sense and works. Because I'm telling you, it's going to work. Because here's why. Here's where it will fail. Now let's fix the failures, and then we can build and give our students what they really need. A chance that that ah
0: And it sounds like it's an iterative process. Is that correct? All three of you work together. Yeah. To continue. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, because there are certain things that when you start, it sounds great. Like you know, in theory, you know, two plus two equals four. Then you get to me and It's like it doesn't equal four. It actually equals a binary number. Now let's figure out why we have to get to the point of where it can actually make sense for everyone. So like it was a, it was definitely a process. Like I remember a time where the one uh, I was working with a, with a with a partner. Mm-hmm. And he had this fantastic idea of, oh, we're just going to do this and we're going to give teachers everything. They're going to teach the same way. And I said, don't do that. That teacher with the heartbeat will take that piece of that, take your setup and say, this does not make sense. It makes sense to you because you have done the research and it says this. I know where my students are. Why don't you give them a better, instead of giving them a structured template, give them the liberty to say, hey, here's the content. Here's what I want to get to you. Can you help me get help? Let allow that teacher to create that framework because the same thing can be said between myself, Adam, and anyone else. But for some reason, the way I say it will fall on the ears of my student differently, and they'll hear it differently. Allow that teacher a little bit of flexibility to still take what you're getting, what you wanted your objective, but let me give it my way. Let me just put my little spin on it to get the point across. He didn't believe me. He ran his test trials and said, Wow, I got a better reaction response from my teachers who said, thank you for allowing me to create the structure to get to the point that you want me to get to. And here's what the, and here's what the student, how well the students perform.
0: So tell me a little bit more about, about being on the design team. So what, what is that experience like, um, for, for teachers and how is it different from the way products are traditionally uh, developed? Touched on this, but tell us a little more about this design process.
2: Yeah, um, I'll start. And, um, just as somebody who um, has been part of the EO Plus Math team. And then uh, I we, you know, really want to hear from Maxim around his, his experience. So, um, you know, traditionally in product development, especially for education, the, <laughs> the, the holders of power or the, the, those who are at the design table are those who are developers, who are researchers, and who are not always in the classroom, right? Teachers are not always brought in from the very beginning. Now, teachers perhaps can be part of like, you know, testing out like, you know, UX or UI, like, you know, feedback loops. But that's often done once a product has been fully or virtually, you know, almost fully developed. Um, And what, again, what we're, the paradigm we're trying to shift here is that um, we want to bring teachers and students in from the very beginning, from the design table, from the very blueprint, so that the product is, is built from the ground up with teachers and students, not only in mind, but at the table. Mm-hmm. So, as, so in this design team, the, 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 way, the structure we've tried to develop um, and, and we try to encourage our teams to develop is researchers at the table, like Maxim said earlier, developers at the table, mm-hmm. teachers at the table, students at the table, and even community members at the table. So it includes a very comprehensive microcosm of those who are all going to be um, working with, involved and engaged with the, the product at the very end. And Maxim, he mentioned earlier, as part of the Educator Leadership Council, or we call the ELC for short. And along with many other things, the ELC has also been with these teams of preachers and developers from the very beginning, from the concept stage, from the blueprint. So, so Maxim and others, on the ELC have literally literally seen this product go from paper to students and everything in between. And he's been able to offer insights, offer pushback, um, offer different ways of thinking, different ways of of, um, approaching these ideas. And this process has been extremely iterative. Try things, we go back to the design table. We try more things, we go back to the design table. And without the input, of teachers and the ELC and students, we would just be creating or recreating the status quo. So this is really in service of disrupting exclusionary practices that have not really served our priority students and the teachers who serve them. And Maxim has been part of this from the very beginning, has been on this design team. So please, Maxim, please share your experience. So in the
1: beginning, I think we were all kind of new because we've never really had a chance to, to step foot on, on the, uh, the ground level. It's always been, here's the back end. The, the district has made the decision to go with these choices. I think my one one experience prior to the ELC was selecting the new books for my school district. And I had to sit through like five different proposals. I'm like, oh, this all sounds the same, but this seems real cut and dry because I would never use any of this except for this one. Like I'll use bits and pieces. So to, to be chosen to choose something for an entire district is one thing. To actually be a part of the creation, the inception was something like totally different. So we're sitting there going with brainstorming. And then I remember the time we were in Chicago, like we all met in the, in, in, a, in a ballroom. And we're going from, let's go from this piece of paper to now let's go to this chart paper. then let's go from this chart paper to now more structured, more formal, uh, and then create an idea. is just, just for an idea. Because everyone came with an idea, but then they realized real quick, nah, my idea isn't going to cut it because now it has to be tailored for this specific purpose in mind. So to sit there and and be a get you know, like a get a chance to be a part of it, it meant something because now I'm invested. I got some skin in the game. Like I'm putting what I'm going to, what I'm getting ready to to put my name on is what's going to be the foundation for a student that I know look like me sounds like me, might not think like me, but they can get there. I want them to know that this is a reflection or an embodiment of everything that they will experience. And again, I, I, I will always stress as a mathematician and a, and a, and a teacher, of math and a learner, lifelong learner, I just want you to get that aha moment. A moment you can say, that's what my teacher meant when they said this goes a, a whole lot further. And I really feel like, you know, it, the only way you can get the aha moment is to say that you were there from the beginning, from the inception. And so as we went, it was a lot of it, it was a, it, I think it there was more push and pull and it was more me pushing and them not pulling because everyone was still stuck on. No, I want to do it this way. Like I've I've already came. I've had this plan. This has worked for me before. We just And now we're just looking to get you no know, funding to do this. And it was like, no, it's. We're not here to give out free money. Like there's going to be an a, a, a end, a end goal. Like you have to give me something that when I present it, you, that you know that I'm in your corner and I will fight just as hard for you because I want to see this come to fruition. And so after we, we had our necessarily knock down drag outs, it was more of a, oh, you're not going to invite me to these meetings? You do understand I'm, I was placed on your team for one reason to be a voice to say, this is what you should do and this, how you should do it. Or you're not going to listen to me. Okay. You're going to listen to me now. And I'm going to tell you why, because I'm going to say this. If you don't, then now it becomes, Oh, wait a second. Oh, you, you, you really thought I was kidding. I was, I was playing with you. And I think that some of the research and developers kind of felt feel like it's a teacher's job just to do what they say. And I'm telling you, I'm not here to do what you say. I'm here, I'm literally here to say, here's how you can say and do and get the best result. Like, that's what I, like, that's what we always stress to to the developers. Like, no, no, we're not telling you no, we're just telling you, can you say it this way? Or can you do this? You forgot about this key piece of information. Like, don't, don't, don't jump over the small stuff because you want to get to the bigger goal. Sometimes those small, those small, those singles will eventually get you to a longer, get you to a a, a a greater goal. And it was a lot of pushing and pulling. And then when they finally sat down and heard what we had to say and made the changes. And again, once you make the change you, and then you do your, you do your tests and you come back and you reevaluate. And then after the changes, you start to see, wait a minute, these changes actually make sense because I'm getting the results that I want to get.
0: Yeah. It sounds like you know, everybody has their specific expertise and everyone is coming to the table and ev- everyone is expert in their area and should be an expert listener in everybody else's area, right? Because it, it takes a village. We talk about this a lot about the importance of bi-directional communication between educators, teachers, and and those who um, are researchers. You know, researchers tend to also be educators, but in a in a different way, right? There's a lot of different there's a lot of different ways to teach and there are a lot of different classrooms. You know, we could talk about all the different dimensions, but we need lots of different, um lots of different expertise coming to the table. We should be listening as much as we are sharing. The the unidirectional approach where researchers tell teachers what to do doesn't work and has not worked for a really long time. <laughs> so
2: Yeah. And can I add something to that? Um, Megan. So um kind of going back to inclusive teachers and about- in what we call inclusive RD, you know, it's more than just putting these different experts at the table and say, hey, design, right? There's more that there, Maxim alluded to this, right? It's like, no, we also have to negotiate relationships, right? We have to negotiate power dynamics. Um, we have to reimagine what it means to collaborate. Collaboration isn't just unidirectional, as you said, right? It's not just I say something and you do and give me feedback on it and I do it and I do it again and you give feedback, right? It's more than just a feedback loop. So I think what a lot of our community had to really learn, unlearn, relearn, you know, their own positionality, how they enter spaces, whether it's, you know, how to enter spaces with humility where humility isn't often or wasn't your practice, right? You know, Re- releasing that air of authority, or of, of authority, and really engendering this ethos of humility, engendering this ethos of being learners together, um, being safe, being um, okay to say, "Oh, I don't know." Hey, Maxim, can you give some more feedback on this? Um, so, like, there was a lot of, um, and what we we call it, connect and commit. There was a lot of that that had to happen. Prior to even <laughs> even starting to develop the product to begin with, so and we and that was a lesson we had to learn along the way. And what we say, like, go—we had to go slow to go fast because I think we we also learned that you know we wanted we want to do these things now. So I think a lot of us rushed into this design without taking the time to do to do this relationship development, power dynamic kind of interrogation. So <laughs> we so some of us rushed into it. But then had to actually pump the brakes, go back to the drawing board, recommit these relationships, reconnect, reestablish these norms of working together and these rules of engagement, so we could develop these products in a very authentic and inclusive way
0: yeah so i i'm I'm loving hearing about the process, and i it, it's it's helpful to kind of take this bird's eye view, and I know that you're all of you are very data driven, which of course I love. But maybe a, a concrete example, right? The stories are sometimes really powerful at just kind of illustrating what what the the larger data suggest. And so, Maxim, I'm wondering if you have a, maybe a story or a concrete example about what one of these products does and how that has how that has worked with a student or group of students.
1: So the one I referred to earlier, I, I say that uh, the uh, the developer I work with work with fractions. Now, you ask any person who's a mathematician, math teacher, and they said the first thing that they have to battle is third grade and this Matt, this number of fractions. And why is every student so stuck on, like, I don't understand how three-fifths and one-half doesn't equal four-sevenths. Here we go. Again, I've battled it. I've done it. But the thing that I've always been successful on is the notion of money. Now, you can say, let's take an apple or pizza and you cut it into certain parts and they can see it. Yes, you see that. But I found that with my students, I put a dollar sign in front of most of my problems. They go from getting 50% right to getting 85% right just because it was a dollar sign. But they understand the notion of I give a dollar, I get back change. Guess what? That's your fraction. And it's like, well, how is it a fraction? Well, let's look at it. You got 89 cents. You want to walk around going ching, 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 ching in your pocket? No, you don't. How much you need to get a whole dollar? 11. Great. Guess what? 11 out of 100. That's your fraction. 89 out of 100. That's what's in your pocket. Put those two together. It's still out of 100. Add the number. And it's like the moment hits. Well, let's take that fraction now, but let's go a little bit smaller before we get to algebra one. And let's talk about a third grader who's for the first time is seeing the idea of a half. And the the vendor was using like some something where it's like let's take a bridge and then the bridge is gonna be in these different measurements. We're gonna have it as two thirds in the beginning and like four fifths in the end. They gotta fill in the gap. I was like, uh you you're talking fourth grade level math we got to find common denominators and and do these things. I'm like, how about let's dial it back? They're in third grade still, right? Like I gotta remember because you know third grade seemed so long ago for some of us. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know if we had computers in third grade. I think we might have had a first computer in third grade. Now I'm dating myself. I'm sorry. But when you're going back to the the, the fundamentals at its core, I said, why don't we just look at a fraction for what it is? Let's go with just the basics. Let's go with the nothing up to, let's let's stop off at 10. 10 is a nice number because, you know, it's round, one to 10. And then let them see the the connections from there. Let them see it in like. In three different parts. Like, you know, here's what one half looks like, and then how else can you represent one half? That's one over two. See another one, two over four. Let's start setting the stage for visually, one half can be multiple things. It's literally just half of whatever my number is. Let the students draw that connection. From there, now let's take your game that you're trying to put, and let the student fill in the pieces from there. Like, fill it in. What will I need to? What will I need to add to this particular picture? to get it to be the one half, one fourth. And it was a lot of push because they wanted to go ahead and do it like the hardest thing out the out the gate. And I said, well, you were lost in 95% of your class because probably only three out of those students actually got enough experience dealing with higher level math. You got to have an entry point. Your entry point is start off the basics and see where they go from there. Another, saying that same breath, it was, now you want them to write it out. So you're going to go from the computer game to have them write it out on a piece of paper. That's gonna work, my guy. I think you you got two different modalities. I think you should start with one. Pick one and then stick to that, and then go from there. Because some folks they may be more visual. Some may be more tactile. Let's not go to a game. How about you actually give the actual tile pieces and let them play with it. Let them see that hey, using my with my hands, I can make this look to where it needs to look. And then you can kind of allow them to make the connection from tactile to to computer. Those were the things that we had to get to because in his mind in their mind, no, we're gonna follow the research. Our research says this, we're here. We're not gonna deviate from the research. We just want you to put your stamp of approval on it. I can't put my stamp of approval on it. And I think in the beginning that's where we had more pushback because I I do feel that they were trying to just say, hey, we should just lay down and accept that this is what it's gonna be, but we're not. We're actually being given a green light to tell you why this is not going to work. Here's why it's wrong and i want you to do better for our students.
0: And it sounds like the researchers in this context are researchers almost doing human factors work, right? They're they're testing they're testing specific software mm-hmm. and so we're not talking about like PhDs at a university doing um you know doing research in in that context. We're talking about the specific researchers for the products, correct?
1: There might have been a few PhDs on there. And they were using their thesis or dissertation or whatever they were studying. I'm not gonna sell it, I'm not selling them short mm-hmm. on, on what their education said. But when you take that fundamental as that basis and you create your platform off of that, it, it's often come with a biased notion of everyone should know this. And not everyone knows this because not everyone may have been exposed to it. Not, not, not every student, or let me rephrase, not, not every student might have been exposed to it. Not every student might have been exposed to, been exposed to, exposed to this concept to the degree that you think that they should be proficient at. And there are some students who had several gaps, like we're talking about gaps in education. You might not have ever seen a fraction. And then the first time you see it, you're now like 12. Well, I'm expecting you to know how to do a fraction for when you're like seven or eight. I might be reaching too far back, but I would expect at least you to know that what makes up this fraction and then go from there because everything else kind of just builds on it or the one point that I, that I looked at as an educator, as an educator, I cannot teach you anything advanced if you haven't even gotten the basics because you're still stuck at A. Why am I at letter Y on the alphabet? So I have to go back and backfill those, those missing concepts to get you ramped up to now understand. Okay. Now we got that covered. Here's what you're supposed to know now. Now we're on grade level.
2: Um, to your question about like the, you know, the backgrounds of some of our researchers and developers. So. Um, there is it was kind of a, a, a variety, it's a, a kind of of a, a, a diversity. Some um, some of our researchers and developers are, have really did hone in on that user experience, that UX, user interface, like have that specialty. But there are also also some researchers and developers who are in the academy and do have like actual degrees in you know math education or um, software, you know um, software development, although you know computer science, etc. So it kind of runs the gamut, but like to, to Maxim's um, point earlier, you know, while some of these researchers and developers may, may have had some teaching experience in the past, um, some didn't. So it just kind of depends, but what, what was missing and what, you know, continue to be missing is that, you know, they're not in the classroom right now. So they still don't have that, you know, are we designing for, I can design for a third grader, but am I designing for a third grader who has 35 minutes of math per day? Who's, who, who learns fractions from September to November. Um, who, and then we'll move on to whole numbers again, whole number multiplication, division. So like those understandings of like the school context are what's missing often. And these are the things that Maxim and others are able to bring to this space that while that, with, like, that whilst researchers and developers might have had teaching experience, they don't have the context right here, right now That that we need to have in order to build these products with students in mind, right now, right in here, right now, in our classroom, at present.
0: And of course, the reason I'm, I'm asking, right, is that I do I do some research, but I'm I'm in a different. It sounds like it's a different type of position, and I was in my own mind trying to organize. Okay, what what are the kind of what are the people that are coming together in this process? Because of course, in my role, I'm a I'm the principal investigator in my own lab, but I'm not researching a specific product or a, mm-hmm. any any anything concrete in that way i'm more free to sort of try to find what strategies generally work or that sort of thing and then i'm also teaching but at the university level so it's very different so we all come with our with our own expertise and i i have a an understanding of how the different researchers would be kind of teased apart and so i was i was just really curious but but for our listeners who are maybe not in research there's just like there's a lot of different types of teachers there's a lot of different types of researchers and that's why it's important to get so many different people in the room and have these conversations um but that that's why i was asking just cuz i was you know personally curious so how how do you think about the role of executive function in math learning after after being involved in ef plus math
1: i don't know why i was ever taken out to be honest i've always now, I guess well, my mom was a teacher, so I, anytime I, I was given a problem, I had to explain to her to the upteenth level how I got to the problem every single step. Um, I thought it was also mundane, but it built a connection in my brain as to, before I put my answer down, I need to know what my next step will be. So I'm always thinking four or five steps, ahead, like, hey, how can I get this problem down to like three steps instead of six? If it's not possible, that's fine. But knowing the reason behind it, and even if I got it wrong, it's not a problem. I getting it wrong, it's going back to a, well, what did I do wrong? Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me troubleshoot. Let me, let me, let me solve. I'm not sure when it happened, but the idea of just just being able to explain and articulate how'd you get it, it got replaced with is the answer right or wrong? Well, I can guess and get the answer right. I Means multiple choice. One of those answers has to be correct. Just pick, go back to the fraction. One out of four, one out of five. Okay, 25 or 20% chance. I can go ahead and get rid of some of the wrong answers. But going back and, and looking at those EF functions and embedding it from a very early age doesn't have to be the full advanced level. It can be the simplest version, just like say for a first grade, to where it's 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 understandable. They can, they can apply it in, in, its, in its infancy stage, but as they get older, they know that those fundamentals are still there. Oh, this is how math is should always be taught. I don't understand why why they took it out. Like, what happened to that? But going through this experience and having to apply, like, oh man, you guys are missing these key components. That's why this doesn't make sense. Like, you have to go ahead and let's go back some. Like I, I said, so we got to, we have to, we we did our product, we tested it. Let's go back and figure out what was wrong. And embed those missing pieces so that everyone can understand.
2: Yeah, and um, to to continue that thread, um, one thing that you know we are seeing is that while I mean executive function spans a whole you know host of skills, right? And we focus on three in particular, which is working memory, um, inhibitory control, and cognitive flexibility. And what we you know what we know from from research is that it's important to explicitly develop these skills. Like, yes, they can be developed kind of, you know, organically as we grow older and we learn more about how the world works and how our brains work um, in our own development, but there is benefit to explicitly attending to these executive functioning skills in the context of mathematics. For example, if we're giving students um, a word problem and we, you know, we often, you know, as math teachers, we say, okay, there's some, unnecessary or extra information in this problem cross out what you don't need well that that's inhibitory control but unless we call that out explicitly for kids they don't know that this is a skill to develop so we can say cross it out but but there's an added layer to this it's like okay maxim when you're crossing this out you are really honing in on the things that you need and you're exhibiting inhibitory control So like, let's think about how we can further develop inhibitory control as we think about what's needed in the problem and what's not needed. So it calls to question kids' metacognitive abilities and how they're developing their own EF skills in tandem with with their math learning. So it's not just, so while EF might be just organically embedded in math learning, the extra layer is actually calling it out, allowing kids to be metacognitive about those skills and explicitly developing them. In tandem with developing their math learning prowess,
0: yeah, and developing skills like that. So there's there are some companies out there, right, that try to sell your ability to train your working memory, say, in some sort of game that's dis- divorced from the way in which a student might actually use it. But developing the skills in the context of math learning, where they're you know where these skills are actually needed, and and developing them in the way that they need to be using those skills. Um, can be can be particularly helpful. And to the point of crossing things out, it's inhibitory control, but then also you're it's reducing the working memory load, which should help you. Exactly, right? Absolutely yeah.
2: right. So like so basically like calling these things out for children to be to so they can monitor and track it so that they can develop it is something that is often missing from current products and current approaches that we are really, really being explicit and intentional about embedding not only in the products we're developing, but also in the teacher's approaches and their pedagogical approaches to teaching mathematics as well.
0: Yeah, when to use a strategy, but also why, so that you can be able to then use that strategy appropriately in the future. One, one of the things that I love about all of this is the focus on equity, and and sort of the, the paradigm shift, helping to kind of I know that you're trying to produce a paradigm shift in terms of equity and math learning, and so I'm wondering um, if you can talk a little bit more about how your work is is meeting that goal.
2: Yeah, um, I, I can start for sure. You know, when we think about equity, there's a lot of there's a, a lot of dimensions of equity that we can really that we can think about and consider. So, of course, one is centering centering those students who have been ex- historically excluded. So, like literally, you know, including avatars, including representations of students in the materials. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the, in, the, in the concepts, uh, et cetera. Um, another component of that is inclusion, right? So like, like that's where like the co-design aspect comes in. It's like, are we actually including students and um, in in those who serve them, i.e. teachers, are we including them in the design process from the very beginning? Are we, are we honoring their voices, honoring their perspectives, honoring the pushback, honoring the expertise that they bring in, in ways that are actually advancing um, and shifting a paradigm around product development? Another thing we're, we're, we're really thinking about is, is this something that students want to do? Like, is this something that they want to see? Is this, is this something that is reflective of their backgrounds? Is this reflective of their experiences? Is this reflective of their home language? Is this reflective of their home communities? So the, um, like, do they see themselves as mathematicians? And when, they, and when you ask them what a mathematician is, are they going to re, reify the white male Paradigm, or are they gonna say, oh, a mathematician is, oh, it's a guy that comes to my house and fixes my roof because he I conceived him doing a lot of numbers. Like, like, like are these are these the conversation that our kids are having, are these experiences that the kids are having that disrupt the current paradigm of who a, who a, who a mathematician is, who a math learner is, who is what what it means to be brilliant in mathematics. So those are the things that we're trying to really engender in our um, in our approach and that we hope is happening as our products move into our uh, into these classrooms?
1: Listen, a mathematician is a person who can think logically. It, it has got nothing. We I mean, not say nothing because there will be some purist who thinks mathematicians are all numbers. It's largely connecting two things that may not have a connection. If you can do that, then trust me, you can be a math. That is, that is the, the basis to me of all mathematics. And when it comes to equity, a lot of things just aren't equal. Like the way things have been Teachers have been told to—I hate this phrase—dumb it down. I shouldn't have to dumb anything down. I should be able to build this student up. I should be able to go ahead and inject what this student needs to fill that gap, that void that they have, that they didn't get, to get them to stand and say, "You know what? No, I can do this, and here's why." And so that's where when we talk about equity, it, it it does it looks different. It'll look different for you. It look different for me. It looks different for Adam. But when we all get it, we should be on the same, we should be able to stand on the same playing field and not feel like one person has the leg up on me. And and, and that is really what what this this ELC and EF Plus has been pushing for. Like, oh, you, I want to make sure everyone has a fighting chance. The car's already been stacked against us for whatever reason it is. Let's make sure that we can at least have some sense of like, no, no, it's, it's, it's almost fair, but I'm going to show you what I can do better to make it more fair for me than you.
0: Yeah, I'm pretending, pretending that there's not an issue is not helpful. There's implicit biases everywhere. We talk about that a lot because of course our implicit bias lives in our cognitive networks, right? So if I'm a teacher and I am listening to this and I'm thinking, yeah, I really like the things that, that they're saying. I like this idea of multiple people coming to the table. I like the idea of uh, making things as as equitable as possible, making these shifts. What what recommendations do you have, or uh, resources that you might have, or places where teachers can learn more? Where Where do they yeah. go from here?
2: I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, and as you know, as has been the the nature of this conversation, we've learned a lot. We've experienced a lot in these past few years as um, being part of this EF plus Math community, and. We have an actual insights report that really has distilled all of our learnings and all of our approaches from the past three years to explain what inclusive R&D is, explaining what EF executive functions are, explaining how these things have gone from design table to prototypes and classrooms, explaining the co-design relationships. So we've done all this learning and we have this report and we can find this insights report and other information about EF plus math at the AERDF website, which is aerdf.org. So AERDF.org. And when you, when you go to that website, you will notice there's a yellow banner across the top that says EF Plus Math Insights Report. You can click on that banner and you can have access to all of our learnings, all of our resources related to the Insights Report and related to the other, um, other information about EF Plus Math.
0: Yeah, and I'll link to it in the show notes as well. So don't even have to search, search high and low. You can, it, although the description that you gave was perfect, I'm sure I will be able to find it and then I'll be able to link to it in the show notes for everyone else so that they can just click one. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been really fantastic. I've really enjoyed um, speaking with you both this afternoon and I'm looking forward actually to taking a look at this report myself. So um, thanks for, for pointing that out.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. It's been a pleasure. Definitely a pleasure
0: this episode is funded by listeners like you. To support our work and gain access to exclusive content, visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash learningscientists.